Hello and welcome to Crackpot Theories, the podcast where everything is plausible until proven otherwise. I'm Sinead. And I'm Sophie. And uh, welcome to another week of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've an interesting one today actually because there was a huge amount of research that went into it on, on my part um, and I'm just glad that I was in quarantine for it because I don't think I would have had time to research this otherwise. Okay, so... Sergey, you know how I am with European history. Yes. I have never met somebody with such a vast wealth of knowledge on monarchies from history and European monarchies from history. It's actually fascinating and I've learned so much and I cannot wait to be educated further. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I was just going to say um, Chinese history is not my specialty, but I did my best. Uh, so there are going to be gaps in this theory that I've missed out on because, uh, I mean, if you think that European history is wild, Chinese history is extra wild. Mm. Really and truly. Because they had so many dynasties and things. and oh, Even just thinking about it, it must be about tenfold what any European history would be like. Yeah, well, listen, I'll get into the specifics of it. But today we are going to be discussing uh, Mulan, Disney film Mulan specifically. Ooh. Yeah, um, I mean, that film was brought out in 1998. So it'd be one of your childhood films, wouldn't it? Yes, it was. I do very much remember my mom bringing me to the cinema to see it. And, and oh. how amazed we were about that whole scene when the avalanche happens. Because oh, we, yeah. we were one of the only people in the cinema and it was like, oh my God, it's coming right at us. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, I was like six or seven, maybe, when I saw it. Uh, oh, it was yeah. pretty pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, Mulan is a very old folk tale in mm. Chinese mythology. It's uh, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. Um, the, what I'd really compare it to is I'd compare it to Cinderella because Cinderella is also one of the world's oldest folk tales. Yeah. But al also the thing about Cinderella is there's a lot of different variations of it worldwide. And you can say that about Mulan as well because there's different variations on the Mulan myth. Um, but my theory for Mulan and I'm talking specifically the Disney film, is that this is actually an origin story for one of the two greatest ruling empresses of China. Uh, one of them was Wu Zetian, and one of these was uh, Empress Cixi. Um, there, there's a strong possibility that I'm going to get pronunciations wrong. I tried my best to find out how these words were pronounced. But uh, my clumsy European tongue isn't always the best for tackling this kind of thing. So if you are um, a person who um, is relatively decent at Mandarin and you notice that I said something wrong, please do not hesitate to tell me and I will do my best to improve. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so the, this is an origin story for one of these two empresses. These are the only two empresses that you could really say ruled China in that uh, they ruled it directly by themselves. There's been a couple of kind of consorts, concubines and empresses that ruled kind of air quotes by telling the emperor what to do or by kind of shuffling things around behind the scenes. But um, Wu Zetian did sit on the throne herself and Cixi had a lot of power herself as well. Um, so the very first account of the Ballad de Mulan um, was recorded actually in the 6th century. Um, there was a play that popularized it. It was called, in full, it was called The Heroine Mulan Goes to War in Her Father's Place. That was um, created during the Ming period, which is the 1500s by our standards. And then there was a novel called The Sweet Tang Romance, which was made in the 17th century. So there's a lot of different variations on this. In one of the stories... She was, she actually didn't serve the emperor, she served the Khan. Oh. Yeah. Uh, huh. In one of them, she was called to serve as a concubine and she committed suicide. Um, so there's a couple of different variations, but then you get that with Cinderella as well, which is where I'm bringing in the comparison there, because in yeah, certain, in certain there's very... an awful lot of her variations in Cinderella that are quite wild actually and then so much darker than any of the depictions you'd see on tv like the hans christian anderson cinderella is not 
That's not the right one. No, Perlt. Yeah, Charles. No, it's it's okay. Like you know, I I know this because um, I researched all of these things. So because and and not because I had anything to do with them. I just found them interesting and decided to research them because I'm just that kind of person. And Cinderella is one of these stories that I really connected to when I was a kid, and I still connect very much to. But I love all the different variations of it. In the Chinese version, there's no fairy godmother. It's a magical fish. <laughs> a magical fish? Like from the salmon and knowledge level of magical fish? No, it was a koi. A koi carp. Huh. Yeah, in uh, a pond. Um, and I think she... In that variation, I think she was one of the emperor's consorts. But she was the lower rung of the ladder. Which was all the women that probably would never actually get to meet the emperor um but i mean these the story of uh, uzeshan is probably very much a cinderella story in its own right um but like when you're talking like the bare bones of the mulan legend is that a girl went disguised herself as a man and went to war in her father's place but that's not an uncommon story there's like the entire world is full of um, girls who disguise themselves as boys in other in order to do something. Uh, Joan of Arc did it. It was yeah. one of the reasons she was executed was they accused her of being a, co- a cross-dresser. Uh, loads of Shakespeare he- heroines did it. Um, in particular in The Merchant of Venice. Um, the Portia disguised herself as a male lawyer in order to tell Shylock that he couldn't take his pound of flesh without spilling blood. Um, and she would have never been taken seriously if she'd just gone in there as a woman. Um, Saint Marina in the 8th century, she disguised herself as a boy to enter a monastery with her father. And she was discovered to be a woman when a local girl accused her of getting her pregnant. <laughs> now, she didn't, she didn't come out then. What she did was she actually, ra- she actually said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the baby daddy. And she raised the child for a while herself, and then she was discovered to be a woman, so she had to come clean. <laughs> That's so. Imagine how scarlet the young one would be that it's like, accuse this random person of being a baby daddy and being that wrong. That should be on Maury. Just like. <laughs> yes. It, it was a beautiful story and she was made a saint so you know obviously she did something right um immaculate, immaculate conception <laughs> but could you just imagine like um you know especially if you were like a really obvious kind of young girl and people going yeah you're definitely this baby daddy you'd be you'd be so pleased that people actually buy that you're a guy that you'd be like yeah i'm definitely this baby's daddy sure (laughs) why not um okay so moving on like there's a lot of different stories so we can't say definitively that the story of mulan was one person's story especially if you like there's lots of different clans of in chinese history and that all came to power and fell from power at various times like Mulan herself, whatever girl that she's based on, wasn't necessarily the first girl that had military training. There were girls that you encouraged to get an education um, beyond kind of reading and needlepoint and things like that. So there could have been any number of girls that actually took their father's armor and went off to war because uh, China fought a lot of wars yeah, in its history, yep. C- civil and, and otherwise. Cat, why are you sitting on my phone? For God's sake. Sorry, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm recording in the kitchen again and the cat has decided to keep me company and is sitting on my phone. She's very interested about Mulan. Clearly. And I don't know. I, I, I think maybe she has an opinion and she wants to talk about it. Um, oh. But anyway, yeah. So, like, just like with Cinderella, you couldn't necessarily say that, you know, there's... There was only ever one mystery girl that ever caught the attention of a prince. Uh, you also can't say that Mulan was the only person who ever donned her father's armor and went off to fight somebody somewhere. So, Fa Mulan, I, I, I'm going to call it another Dread Pirate Roberts thing, where 
it's just a name that you slap on this particular type of character. Just yeah. the same way, like, Cinderella is kind of considered to be the name that you give absolutely every girl with that story. But Cinderella wasn't necessarily even her name at the start. She used to be called Ashenputtle. Um, I forget what the name was in, Chinese, in the Chinese legend. Uh, in the Greek legend, she was uh, Rhodopus. So Cinderella, it's, it's just kind of the moniker. Everybody knows what you mean when you say Cinderella. Mm. Likewise, these days, everybody knows what kind of character you're talking about when you talk about Mulan. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the time period. So the timing of the Disney film is ridiculously fuzzy. It's even fuzzier than the one from Beauty and the Beast. It's, it's very vague. It's, it's like any of the things that annoyed me about Beauty and the Beast, especially when it came to costuming um, with Belle's yellow dress. Um, if you are interested at all in Chinese history, then this is just kind of designed to make you fairly angry. <laughs> um, sorry, my throat's a bit dry, so I have to stop to take drinks every now and then. Um, so the original poem actually has two origins. It takes place in both the Northern Way and the Qing eras. And those are two eras that are separated by about 200 years. So what you kind of ascertain from that is that this was originally just a folk tale, but that it was actually put down on paper at two different times in two different places. It's very open to interpretation. So we've no idea how long ago this actually takes place uh, now one of the big keys there is to knowing that this isn't actually set in any particular place in time is um for one thing mulan's feet aren't bound yeah um and as far as we can tell neither are the feet of any of the other women now when i was looking up information about um foot binding i discovered it wasn't a thing that was actually as widespread as people think it was the first historical records um, started in the Tang Dynasty, that's the 10th century. They were very widespread throughout the Song Dynasty. Um, now, to pin this to one of our empresses, uh, Wu Zeishan was born in 624. Um, but I also found out that Sixi, who was Manchu originally, she didn't have bound feet and she actually tried to have a band. Because it just Ooh. it just wasn't a thing that Manchus did, um, and she'd married into at that point. She was kind of married into the Han clan. They were very much on the rise, but she couldn't adopt their customs because it would have been going against her family, and she had to have a show of force there. So she had to try and push her own customs in order to keep her clan firmly in place. So yeah, she, she also was quoted as saying that uh, foot binding makes us the embarrassment of the world. Because mm, like I've seen an awful lot about foot binding because I have an interest in kind of historical fashions that in particular distort the body like corsets and things. Mm. Foot binding is absolutely fascinating of how people who had it done were even able to walk around with it like it completely changes the entire structure of the foot and your calf it changes all your muscles and stuff in all of your ankle and oh it's proper body horror stuff how how it's done and rightly so it should have been banned <laughs> yeah oh, completely same. but you know where it started from actually was that it, it started with entertainers like actual mm. professional dancers uh, bound their feet and you'd almost compare it to ballet dancers wearing point shoes yes because that very much changes the foot shape of ballerinas as well like not not it, only does it change your foot shape but uh, ball, ballet dancing full stop has a tendency to really distort your body mm. your muscle definition and all of your all of your legs and even your abdomen there was uh, I don't know if it, how true it is, but I did hear that some women as well, it interferes with their menstrual cycles as well because your body is under such strain from it if you're a very intense professional. Completely, yeah. Um, I mean, there's the whole thing when you watch Black Swan, uh, when, the, um, when the choreographer is trying to show the main character how to effectively portray a bird on stage. 
there's a shot of the muscles in her back just rippling and like it's shot in a way that it is actually body horror but this is a professional dancer that is what her muscles do now because they have such definition from years and years and years of dancing but like that foot binding when it started it was um very much done in the same way that point shoes were done in that they wanted to portray the feet as being super super tiny but because they were professional dancers they would have been on their feet they built up a tolerance for it there was a documentary about foot binding years ago where there was um one chinese american woman she was very um she was very much present on the bdsm scene and she actually bound her feet deliberately oh gosh because she liked the aesthetics of it and she felt like it connected her to her culture she didn't have an issue with it because she felt like well you know, when you look at the other practices of BDSM, it's not that different. And may, yeah, maybe she had a point, but that was her choice. A lot of the women who did this didn't have a choice. Uh, but going back to Mulan, because we just trailed off on a great big um, tangent. Tangent, yeah. Um, so uh, Wu Zeishan would not have bound her feet because it wasn't really a thing at that point in time. Um, and Cici didn't either. So points to either of them. Um, uh, let's see. Um, now, the other big issue there is that the soldiers are using gunpowder in the film. Yeah, they now, have fireworks and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was invented in the 7th century. So, technically, that rules out Wu Zeishan. But one of the buildings, like the buildings that you see towards the end of the film, that shows the Forbidden City. And that wasn't completed until 1420. Mm. Yeah. Now, the emperor is dressed, his clothes are straight out of the Tang Dynasty, which is 1618 to 907. Which is very wild. Completely. That's that's a joke, like. Yeah, he's time traveling. So Mulan and the other female characters, they're in uh, Rukun, which is a type of Hanfu clothing that's prevalent in the Ming Dynasty. As... And then the guy, you know the guy that's in the film, he's like an assistant to the emperor? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, the little weedy guy with the moustache. He's wearing a shido. And that's another generation of Chinese hanfu clothing. These are separated by decades, if not hundreds of years. Like, this is like if, you know, you invited me to a barbecue and I turned up in full hoop skirt colonial American uh, attire with a great big Scarlett O'Hara hat. <laughs> and somebody else was in like in 70s like flares and like f- fringe tops. Stop. <laughs> the other incomplete holographic. <laughs> and somebody else turned up as a Spartan warrior. <laughs> That's, that is what we're talking here. It's, it's completely anachronistic. And again, this is not the kind of thing that you'd pick up on unless you have an interest in Chinese history and particularly in Chinese, his, the clothes in Chinese history. Um, because, you know, the variations in shape didn't change much from decade to decade and century to century. But the way of putting them on the body did change over the years. So it is like, you know, the difference between the medieval period of Europe towards the Victorian era in that you still have the great big skirt and the very tight bodice, but the way that it's put on is different. Yeah. So small details of the shape, like the neckline and things like that. And the V, of course, it's changed as well to depending on what they were trying to achieve body shape wise. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's completely an, uh, anachronistic. But, you know, that's kind of, you know, this this is a, it's just a depiction of a story. But if this is still the origin story of one of these empresses, you kind of expect them to get certain things wrong. Mm. Um, but here's the other big issue. Uh, the Huns never invaded China. Did they not? I... No. The Huns invaded. The Huns invaded Rome and places in Eastern Europe, but they never invaded China. Now, when they're saying Huns, what they could actually be saying is they they could be saying the Hongs, which some people have pointed out, sort of. 
Um, like, there's been people who have been working on this mystery for a while, but it's like they said that they were the Huns, but the way they portrayed them was that they were more like the Mongols. Um, mm. And we're talking, like, the Mongols are actually mentioned in the in Mulan 2. Yeah. Which, again, is another massive anachronism, but uh, we are not counting the sequel. The sequel is it's fan fiction as far as I'm concerned. Of all the things wrong with the sequel, that is the least of its problems. <laughs> Pretty much. Now, um, the Xiongnu, the, or the Xiongnu, uh, they did fight China during the Han Dynasty. And their leader was actually called uh, Shangyu. So maybe they boiled that down to Shanyu who knows and um, wherever their brain was and um, but again one of the early variations of the mulan story has her serving under a khan and not an emperor so we could be talking about kublai khan who knows and um, it's very up in the air there um now in the actual film mulan is offered a position in the emperor's court in the original poem she's offered to serve as a consort which you know, a concubine, and she commits suicide rather than going through it. That's one of the variations of the poem. But what's most likely, actually, is that she was called in to serve because um, at the time, just becoming a consort as such didn't necessarily mean that you were ever even going to meet the emperor. You were just being called in to serve as one of his many, many wives, except you weren't called his wife, but uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but if you wanted to advance as a woman in pretty much any of these time periods in China, in, in ancient China, you it was very dependent on how close you could get to the throne. Because as a woman, you were you either had to be a consort or you had to be a maidservant within the palace. Mm -hmm. And if you accepted a job as a maidservant, you were fairly lower class. And any chance that you had of advancement was maybe you'd get a decent marriage if you allied yourself with the right concubine and gained power through her by doing her messages but that came with a very heavy um risk I'd say. very heavy risk of you you getting executed if if anything ever happened to her your head was on the chopping mm. block as much as hers was um but mulan would have had kind of an edge over certain women who would have been entering the palace around that time because her father was a war hero, she herself was a war hero, and she came from a noble family. Um, now, if you were a man who has an awful lot of consorts and concubines, then it's very difficult to get that man's attention. Mm. You know? So Mulan would have had a heads up on that because she was naturally very interesting. She had this whole story of how she took her father's horse and went off to war. I mean, I can imagine that any emperor would find that a nice change from everything else that his concubines were talking about. She would have also been more well-known because of it, because it wouldn't have been such a done, a done thing that there's probably rumour mills going around about her. So, of course, he, she would pique his interest a lot quicker than the others because it'd be like, ooh, what's going on there? Well, there, there's a bit of a um, an issue there in, as well is that... Um, usually when you entered the palace you sort of lost your name mm. um there was an incredibly complex ranking system for the consorts and the concubines now it did tend to change from dynasty to dynasty and it got it could get more complicated and less com uh, complicated but in general the sort of ballpark rule was you had about five different ranks so you had Chiron, which was at the very bottom and then you had uh, the imperial consort, which is the very top layer. That's second only to the empress. Um, but like at the very lowest rung of the, the ladder, uh, a Chiron was a selected lady. That's usually, you were about 14 years old, you were called to serve, you went into the palace and you were groomed to do all the things that uh, the emperor would like, uh, to excel in certain things, and then you might have an outside chance of meeting the emperor. A lot of these women didn't. And in particular, um, Emperor Taizong, who we're going to be talking about, he supposedly had 40,000 women living in his palaces. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, sort of the ballpark estimates kind of put it between 121 
or up to 40,000. Now that could be an exaggeration. The number that I found in my research was about 20,000. And I'm kind of assuming that might include like maidservants of the girls that were going into the palace as the emperor's air quote wives. Um, but, you, but you had all of this competition. So how do you catch the attention of a man when you have 40,000 other women who are also catching his interest? Now, here is where we get into the meat of the story um, when I think that Mulan, after going to the army, winning, coming back and being offered a place in the emperor's palace, uh, then became Wu Zeishan. So one of the big clues here is that Wu Zeishan's early life is a complete and utter mystery. We don't know anything about her before she entered the palace, except that she came from a noble family. And um, she had a whole lot of names before she eventually became the Empress. Uh, some of them were, she was called Wu Zhao, she was called Wu Mei, Wu Mei Yang, Wu Kao, and Wu, she was a Kairen at the very lowest level. She was a Zhao Yi and she was Xiang Di. So that was all before she actually got possession of the throne. She went through so many names. So, so between given names and titles, it's very difficult to find her original name. I think, um, in the TV show, The Empress of China, which is an excellent series and I highly recommend it. Super dramatic. It's like EastEnders. And <laughs> I, I half expect every episode to end with the kind of the EastEnders. Um... Yeah, exactly. And um, so they called her Ru Yi when she entered the palace as a Kyren. So that that's anybody's best guess. So it's difficult to find out anything about her before she entered the actual palace. What we do know about her was that she was well-educated and she was a bit feisty. That's about it. Now, the way that she got the emperor's attention is she advised him on the best way to break a horse. She came across him with a horse one day and he was having trouble breaking this horse. And she kind of called over to him and said, well, you know, if I was breaking this horse, this is how I would do it. And he sort of liked this because she spoke at a turn, which was a big no-no, but she gave him decent advice and he was intrigued. Now, uh, I assume that somebody who has been in the army for a little while would know the best way to break a horse. Yeah, definitely, because especially back then, their main mode of transport would have been horses, and particularly the army riding horseback into battle would be very important so they'd probably know an awful lot about horse care exactly but also what kind of noble lady from a noble family regardless of how well educated she is would have anything to do with the breaking of a horse i'd, I'd assume the only person i can think of would actually be queen elizabeth currently but other than that i wouldn't be able to think of any yeah, but I mean, horses for the English nobility, that was a hobby. Like, yeah. still most of the time when you were a noble Chinese lady, you were carried around in a litter by actual people, not horses. That, that just sounds uncomfortable, though. You'd feel very bad about it. Not, or at least I would. If I was in that position, I'd feel very bad about it. Not if you were in a position where you naturally looked down on these people and were raised to look down on these people. Like, everything was... In Chinese society, everything was about ranking. You know? Yeah. You, you, ro you rose or you fell, depending on um, whose favour you had, more or less. There's actually a scene in the, um, the firmament of the Pleiades where... Um, Sixie is scolding one of her son's concubines because she was spreading gossip about a guy who had a high position in the ministry. Uh, he was he had something to do with trade. And the concubine was being cheeky about him buying his position because he couldn't read. And Sixie actually said to her, well, listen, he's a, he's a merchant. He doesn't need to know how to read. All he needs to know how to do is count. And this is none of your business anyway. How dare you? Now, this was in the kind of late 19th, early 20th century. Mm. So we can imagine even way back further than that, there was still a serious ranking system. So again, the likelihood of Wu Zeishan, if she was just a normal girl, knowing how to break a horse? Mm. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Now, the emperor that she served under, 
to start with, because this is actually a fascinating story. It's it's crazy. Uh, was uh, Taizong. And he was regarded as one of China's greatest emperors. He fought an awful lot of battles, both uh, at home and uh, from surrounding enemies. Um, fought against some of China's most forbid form formidable enemies. And he also had he had an interest in kind of bringing in Buddhist teachings, but he mm. didn't insist on them on everybody abandoning their Taoist faith. Uh, so he was kind of like, uh, well, well, you know, we think we should worship this god, but if you don't want to, that's that's cool. It's okay, you know. Just you do you. <laughs> yeah, unlike let's say, um, you know, Mary um, Mary Tudor, who said, okay, everybody's Catholic now. Protestants, if you don't renounce your faith, I'm going to burn you. And that went swimmingly. Yeah, until <laughs> until she died, and then Elizabeth said, ah, it's okay to be Protestant again, guys. You can come back. Kind of thing. Um, now he was fifty-one when he died, and when you watched the film, the animated film, mm-hmm. how old does he look to you? The emperor. He looks. Gosh, he looked old, like seventies. Yeah. Now, is there a possibility that he just aged incredibly badly? <laughs> I wouldn't imagine so. To get like that long beard look I'd imagine it would have taken a long time I don't think it would be necessarily aging badly okay well bear in mind he had 20,000 women in the palace that he needed to pay attention to (laughs) I like to think that if he was an absolute champion and did manage to go and service 20,000 women he would probably die very young from a heart attack (laughs) No, but you know, I mean, he was obviously very robust in his youth. He fought a lot of enemies. Uh, he had 36 children um, to his various consorts and concubines. They were almost all girls. Um, he had a couple of sons. Three of them rebelled against him in different succession disputes. One was ordered to commit suicide. One was exiled. I couldn't figure out what happened to the last one. Uh, he had four other kids then as well. Um, like I, I think he had seven official kids who were who could be considered heirs to the throne and something bad happened to all of them except for the youngest one um that's suspicious isn't it just you see this is when we're getting into poison territory because all these succession disputes (laughs) a lot of the time when you were a woman in the imperial harem all you really did with your day is plot against the other women like game of thrones it's incredibly like Game of Thrones. Like I said, watch Empress of China. It is like Game of Thrones, except there's no dragons. There's no wall. There's none of that bullshit. It's just nonstop scheming for 74 episodes. Technically, there is a wall, but just... No, <laughs> there is not a wall at that point in time. Oh, fair. I'm sorry. I thought I was being smart there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Listen... You wouldn't have you would have gotten away with it if I wasn't such a damn pedantic arsehole, so <laughs> I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for these damn shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so alright, so you know, fifty one years old, he's got between twenty thousand and forty thousand women that he has to look after. Uh, his sons are causing him massive headaches because they won't stop fighting. I mean, I can probably see him getting very aged very quickly. There are certain people who just, you know, even though they're in decent health, they just don't, they just age very badly. I mean, look at Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, he does not look as young as he is. Yeah, there you go. Um, but he's But he's still going, so. There's also Katie Hopkins, who's seven years younger than Kylie Minogue. And when you put the two of them together, that is a... That's a very stark contrast. Completely. So, like, you do get people who are in definite... They're in definite good health, but they just age really badly. And then on the other end of the sphere, you've got people who are really, really old, but don't look it at all. Yeah. You know, I'm glad to say I am one of those people. (laughs) Nobody thinks I'm as old as I am. It's kind of scary. Yeah. You can still, like, see about getting child tickets on bus errand. (laughs) I did actually this 
Somebody gave me a child's ticket on the bus one time when I was 28. Yeah. I didn't even ask for it. They just gave it to me. (laughs) It was crazy. But yeah, so the opposite end of the sphere, I mean, he was a guy who survived a lot of wars, a lot of squabbling sons. He had a lot of clucking hens in his hen house. You know, I I can see him getting very, very aged and, um, you know, growing this great big long white beard uh, obviously in the Empress of China he doesn't look nearly that old but you know I could see the Emperor in Mulan being Taizong and um, so yeah he was 51 when he died um, and what's really funny here is that when Taizong died all of his concubines and consorts what usually happened to them is they had to leave and enter seclusion usually what they did was they went to um, they became nuns or they were just kind of shut away and um, like they weren't allowed to marry. Uh, if they'd had children with the emperor, they likely didn't very much unless they were maybe daughters. Um, but what happened with Wu Zeishan is that she took up, she had had an affair with the emperor's youngest son. And the youngest son is the one who actually succeeded him in the throne because everybody, mm. something bad happened to every one of his other sons. And although Zeishan at the start, she went off to um, the the convent, um, he went to visit her there and just insisted that she come back in order to become his consort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it's entirely possible that um, she never actually um, did concubine duties with Taizong at all uh, and didn't, in fact, do any con- uh, concubine duties until she took up with Gaozong, who had was his son um but we can't rule it out either but um shortly after he brought her in she gave birth to two sons in fairly quick succession and that immediately bumped her rank up until she was just second underneath the empress um yeah now it's very difficult to get rid of the empress because the empress is uh, usually it's um the empress is the important um the linchpin in the alliance between one clan and another clan so it's very difficult for anybody to um kick the empress off the throne so what happened was and this is a bit fuzzy but um Wu Zeishan she gave birth to a daughter who died uh, officially of suffocate suffocation but she accused the empress of uh strangling the child and the empress was deposed the emperor's favorite consort was also deposed for some reason and then the two of them were eventually executed oh god <laughs> yeah supposedly they were drowned in wine and then they had their heads and their hands cut off and um, but that could be just kind of uh, that could be a little a myth we don't know because part of the problem with researching Wu Zeishan is um a lot of things that were written about her are kind of ambiguous. You kind of wonder, well, was she really this bad? Or is that just misogyny? Because a lot of historians wrote a lot of really horrible things about her, like the ancient historians, because she was a woman. So it's kind of a toss up, you know, is this truthful? Is this misogyny? Or is it a little bit of both? Because I have to imagine to ascend in this kind of environment, you'd have to be fairly mercenary. Yeah, you'd have to be very cutthroat, especially when it sounds like it's such a cutthroat world that if you step out of line or somebody you know steps out of line, you're also gone. You're panjack. So I'd imagine you'd have to be fairly ruthless. Yeah, I mean, there's always stories coming out of the harem of consorts poisoning other consorts, knocking them over so they have miscarriages, um, bribing people to have them accused of certain crimes. And, you know, they were bored a lot of the time. All they really did was kind of sit in the palace, do needlepoint, hang out with each other, gossip, and then occasionally try and catch the emperor's interest. So in order to get advancement of any kind, you had to be fairly ruthless with everybody and not just your fellow concubines, but your own children. So like with the the death of the, the baby princess, there's theories that Wu Zeishan killed her 
deliberately so that she could accuse the Empress of killing her. There's a theory that the Empress herself did actually kill her. There's a possibility that they were using a coal furnace to hurt, to heat the room and that the baby suffocated on uh, coal smoke. It could have been SIDS either because they wouldn't know what that was back then. Exactly. Could, it could have been all sorts of things. You never know really. Um, but once the Empress uh, was accused of murder and the Empress favorite consort was also I, I don't even know what she was accused of we don't know what she was accused of but she was killed as well maybe it's because she took the empress's side and um, inspiring yeah so then Wu Zeishan she became the empress uh, because she was the top ranked and she had two uh, two sons already so there was nobody in front of her in the succession um, now part of the problem there was that the emperor was the emperor that she was serving now the son of the emperor she'd served before he was very sickly and he was very weak willed he kind of let you know before Wu Zeishan became um, the top ranked concubine he let his wife tell him what to do and he let his favourite consort tell him what to do and of course he let Wu Zeishan tell him what to do as well he had a lot of evidence apparently at one point that uh, Wu Zeishan was using witchcraft against him in order to keep his favour. Uh, he found out about this, apparently there was a lot of proof, but he allowed her to convince him not to kick her out. And that usually is a crime that will get you executed. Hmm. Yeah. Um, now, he died relatively soon, I think it was three years into his reign. Um, the first crown prince, as in the em the old empress's son, um, she'd been poisoned, or he'd been poisoned, possibly by Wu Zeishan, we don't know. Uh, again, it's all kind of hearsay and conjecture at this point, but yeah, he was dead. Uh, the other heir to the throne was exiled. Uh, so her third son, her youngest son, he became the heir. He was on the throne for six weeks, uh, but he let his wife and his wet nurse tell him what to do, and she kicked him off the throne replaced him with her fourth son but he didn't reign very long either she kicked him off the throne and then she decided she was the emperor <laughs> i can't trust any of these fools i gotta do it myself but can you imagine right if you were a normal woman who was raised in the relatively normal um chinese society at the time you were highly educated um and you'd been gaining favor all this time you might not have the stones to do all this. However, yeah. if you were a war hero who was handy with a sword and was able to threaten people to get out of your way using your actual battle prowess, that and a whole bunch of poisons and mysterious disappearances of the people that um, that have crossed you, you know, you, you'd become empress. Yeah, nobody would be, like, ballsy enough to stop you exactly and that's not even counting the fact that you know she'd made friends in the army so she had people who may have risen like generals soldiers lieutenants um ministers in the palace who were grateful to her for saving china she she would have had all of these people behind her so she would have had any number of people if she couldn't physically poison you herself she could get somebody else to do it and that is kind of it's kind of the same thing that Catherine the Great did in that uh, when she married her husband her husband was insane uh, mm. Paul III of um, of Russia and uh, when she married him he was insane um, and she was always at risk from him just deciding to kill her so she went off and she had an affair with the general who had whose brothers were also generals and she got the basically the entire Russian army on her side so she could kick her husband out and take over and I think that is more or less what Wu Zeishan was able to do as well but if she was in fact Mulan she would have had a head up over everybody else purely by the fact that she had been in the army and she knew what it was like yeah <laughs> this is such a stretch no, but it's not. It's actually not as much of a stretch as you think it is. Maybe for, say, the Disney film being that Disney going to Disney, but the actual base story of Milan, it could make so much sense if it was. Yeah, that's inspired what I'm saying. by real life events. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, like I said, like um, because this all happened in the sixth century, um, and there's when she did eventually die, there was a monument put up um for her as you did with pretty much every other emperor and then it was supposed to list your accomplishments and hers was blank they didn't put any of her accomplishments on it and she actually had a lot of accomplishments she put down multiple rebellions she completely reformed the country to adopt buddhism over taoism and she was actually a really good ruler she did a decent job now towards the end of her life she lived to be quite um quite elderly um towards the end of her life she had um two lovers who were brothers and they were trying to do the whole thing that a lot of the king's concubines did where they're trying to rule behind the curtain by like whispering words into her ears you know um oh, i think you should give this guy a promotion that kind of thing they were yeah. trying to do that and they used to stop her officials from getting into an audience with her by saying oh, nope she's tired she doesn't want to see you today um but they, they were actually disposed of fairly quickly. The two of them were executed. And she had a decent rule with very little to say against it. It was just that a lot of the things that trickled out about her, again, it's ambiguous because you're like, how much of this is period acceptable misogyny? How much of this is truthful? How much of it is both? Mm. You know, and then there could be just straight up myth as well. Like the put through stories that are go through the, the grapevine and that especially historical stories a lot of things get misinterpreted and things get lost and exaggerated as well not even from a, a misogynistic point of view but just in general yeah completely it's, a, it's like how you know every story that's told by word of mouth changes a little bit different purple monkey dishwasher yeah <laughs> um anyway uh, she's actually a collectible character in Fate Grand Order. Is she? She is, yeah. You can collect her in Fate Grand That's Order. I, I don't know anybody... Well, I do know people that play it, but I don't know if they've got her. But what's really funny is, um, I think there's a game that I'm playing on mobile. It is the weirdest game. It's called Royal Chaos. And you play as a girl who is entering the Imperial Harem for the first time, and you rise through the ranks... By battling other concubines using the ancestral spirits of Chinese folk heroes. That is amazing. <laughs> it, is, it is glorious. My character so far has had three children, has been accused of murder once. Um, has been, uh, there was an attempted coup where like my, my sister tried to take over and accused me of doing something terrible. I moved into a monastery and shaved my head and the emperor came looking for me. It all sounds very much like the backstory of Wu Zeishan. Um, <laughs> except that Wu Zeishan is actually in that as one of the ancestral spirits that you fight Pokemon battles with. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So is Mulan, actually. And the whole thing is so badly translated into English. It's hilarious. I love it so much. I have such a fondness for it even when I, I i see the bad translations i'm just ah oh, they're doing their best english is hard however hard mandarin is english is very hard yeah especially if you're not an english speaker it can be really really bad like weather weather yeah weather weather where where and where Oh, it can be uh... exactly so so i can't i can't hold it against them and um, it's great fun i again i highly recommend it uh, this podcast is not sponsored by the makers of royal chaos and um, i just like the game a lot uh, we're not she... sponsored by anybody but you know if you like us <laughs> i don't i don't know maybe royal chaos will hear about our um our, our endorsement of their their weird little game and decide to sponsor <laughs> us who knows um but moving on from that uh she uh Wu Zeishan is played by Fan Bingbing in the tv series the empress of china which again i highly recommend it because it's chinese eastenders um so yeah it's it's a lot of fun but there's less of a um, there's less of a case that I can make for uh, Dowager Empress uh, Sixty, because what I'm kind of going with is the Forbidden City, the Great Wall of China, and Gunpowder all point to this being a later time period than Wu Zeishan. And then the only other person that kind of fits this mold is Dowager Empress Sisi. Um, 
she earns the nickname the ancient Buddha towards the end of her reign because she was on that throne for quite a while. So she served as a concubine um, the concubine the, the emperor that she was the concubine of he had a father that reigned as the emperor until he died at the age of 67. So that matches up with the age of, well, it matches up better with the age of the emperor uh, in Mulan. So maybe when Mulan entered the, um, the palace to take up that job she was offered, she caught the eye of one of the emperor's sons. And so she, um, she entered as concubine Yi, fifth rank, uh, but then she gave birth to the crown prince. Uh, Zai Shun was his name, and then she was elevated up to just, above, just under uh, the empress. This emperor had a lot less concubines and um, he had a lot less children. So the fact is, that she, because she gave birth to a son, she was immediately the hope of the nation. Mm. Yeah, so she was very well educated. The emperor himself, um, as in the, the emperor after he became the emperor, the guy that she was serving, he was very sickly and he didn't reign for very long. He died about three years into his reign the crown prince was only five years old at the time so his wife and Cece herself they became dowager empresses and they sort of formed this little alliance until the prince came of age but she also went around um, forming alliances with a lot of generals a lot of soldiers and a lot of court officials which fits in with Mulan's uh, army background yeah she would have she'd know all the tactical things that you would only learn if you were in the military yeah exactly um there were eight named regent ministers that were supposed to rule until uh, the prince came of an age where he could take over uh, but she had three of them executed and she got rid of the rest of them by having them exiled because because oh, <laughs> she was in good with the generals again mercenary you kind of have to be um now when it comes to the invading huns i mean they look fairly nomadic they're ambiguous there they called them the huns but they weren't actual huns but for all we know these were mercenaries that were hired by the british empire to cause chaos during the opium wars that were going on at the time that would put the timeline completely off as well wouldn't it because the opium wars were more modern than that, weren't they? They were, but you see, um, China had a bit of an issue in that it kind of stagnated a little bit at the time period. Um, they traded certain things out of the country, but they didn't like to adopt new technologies. This is one of the things Sixie was actually really amazing at, was that she kind of, in the same way that Catherine the Great did, she wanted to drag China into the new century. And she wanted Whether to- Whether liked it or not. <laughs> exactly um so she wanted like they had been doing their their thing essentially for hundreds and hundreds of years and not that much had changed um plus they were fighting off an awful lot of rebellions from inside and outside of china at the time um so i mean it could have been i i think there's a possibility that some tribe of nomads with an ancient grudge against china the British Empire slipped them a bit of money and said, "Here, do you do you want to go cause some chaos? Because uh, we're trying to get we're trying to get opium into the country here, and uh, they're not making it easy. So you know, go do your thing." I could see that happening. <laughs> yeah, let, very much. It seems on brand, so I could see that happening. Yeah, so the, that's where I'm kind of matching up that timeline. If we're talking about people who are invading and why they have. Uh, um, a reason to invade because um, Huns was the nickname that the British gave to German soldiers during World War Two. It's possible that they used it for oh. other things too. Yeah. There really, you. I didn't know that. Really, I, I saw it all the time. There was these um, there was these old annuals that my brothers used to buy that did stories um of like soldiers in World War Two, and whenever they talked about um who they were fighting they called them huns or they called them jerry's i heard of jerry's quite a lot now uh, both of my parents are very interested in historical warfare in yeah. particular world war Two, and i've never heard of them being called huns before that's mad cool yeah I mean, I've, always, look... I've always heard them being jerry's or, or the germans <laughs> yeah 
Um, you, mu- you must ask them about it. I think it was more of a British yeah. thing than it was an American thing. I think the Americans uh, were more about calling them Jerry's and then the British were more about calling them Huns. But um, this was a British annual that I was reading at the time. And for some reason, that little factoid stayed with me. Um, but moving on, because we, we've been talking for quite a while. My throat is getting very, very sore. Um, the young emperor, after he did come of age to rule, he was very, very much under his mother's thumb. He did what he was told. He was incredibly incompetent. He had a lot of vices that he was encouraged to indulge in by uh, the eunuchs that surrounded him. Um, and he died in 1875 of either smallpox or syphilis. We don't know which. Uh, at the age of 20. And Sissy got the throne back. Because nobody else was available to do it. Um, now in order to choose a new emperor... Uh, because all of her children were gone at this point, and so was every other heir to the throne. All of the brothers of the previous emperor were ruled out because he had to. The new emperor had to come from um, the generation of the the last emperor or younger than. Uh, so she took her nephew, who had no claim to the throne at all, and it was her sister's son, and she put him on the throne. Her ally at this point died, the other empress. So she was the sole power on the throne. She married off her niece to the the new emperor and basically she had the two of them under her control. Um, Not just them, but she had his consorts under control. When any of them got cheeky, in particular, there was one who insulted her to her face and she had the girl beaten almost to death. Good lord. That scene is in the firmament of the Pleiades, actually. Um, if you look it up, you'll see Empress Iti chastised as a concubine. Um, she wouldn't stand for it. Like, this girl basically said, um, I, well, you know, I'm not allowed to say anything about anybody, but you're allowed rule from behind the curtain by telling your son what to do. And this was such an insult to her, she nearly had her killed. So. Even if it was vaguely true by the sounds of it. Oh, it was completely true. It doesn't. It doesn't make it any less insulting. But um, yeah, she she asserted her control really, really powerfully. So nobody went against her. And even after she retired, she stayed in control. She was the big push for China to reform and then learn from other nations. She actually invited uh, diplomats and artists and photographers in, and they took um, pictures of the palaces, which had never been done before. They took. Uh, there's a photograph of her. And there's portraits done of her as well. And she was one of the first um, Chinese nobility to do this. She really wanted to encourage China to bring in the rest of the world and to make their nation more powerful, stronger and richer, which probably would have been a good thing given what happened uh, during World War II. And then she was the one who picked the last emperor of China, Puyi. Um, He was two years old at the time. He was absolutely terrified of her when he first met her. She was really frustrated about that and she told them to get the child out of her sight. Uh, but he was the emperor now. So after she died, he came to the throne. Um, you can see that actually in the first few minutes of uh, The Last Emperor by Bernard Bertolucci. It's a really good film. Really interesting. And she died at the age of 72. Very good age. <laughs> Grand old age compared to all the people that came before her and died very quick, very messy deaths. Very short reigns and high mortality rate by the sounds of it. So, <laughs> yeah, it was good. maybe she stole all their youth. Maybe so, or or maybe it was just the power of being Mulan. It, it tidied you over even after um you you'd left the army. <laughs> Anyway, that is the end of uh, my theory. There's two, the two most powerful women in China at two different time periods. I think one of them, or maybe even both of them, was Mulan at one point. That is pretty cool. And that was absolutely fascinating because I've known a good bit about, say, like the European monarchy and that from being friends with you for so long. I've, I've heard a lot about it. <laughs> so learning more about Chinese history and the Chinese monarchy was... I'm so curious and I want to learn more now. That was fantastic. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad you engaged with the topic and you don't mind when I just go on and on and on about history. Like, don't get me wrong. I do feel like an awful fool half of the time where I'm like, yeah, I have nothing to add, but this is 
splendiferous <laughs> no i mean listen this is what i love about doing this podcast with you is that you're willing to sit there and listen to me talk about things that if i said this to people at the pub <laughs> they'd be like yeah no i'm going home i just came here for a quiet drink i don't want to hear about this kind of thing someday we will pick a theory in which i'll get the info dump on you and it will be a great day i pray <laughs> for that day my throat is so sore from talking non-stop i i really really want you to talk about a, a subject that you have so much knowledge on that i don't have that would be great i'll have to think of one get a really good one down <laughs> i don't know art some sort of art you know a lot more about the artist process than i do yeah well, art is boring <laughs> no, it's not nothing is boring if you're able to think about it hard enough true <laughs> anyway uh thank you so much everyone for listening i hope you have been enjoying listening to us during quarantine we really appreciate your support um that was a fantastic episode i think that was one of my favorites that we've done recently oh, I'm um, i always love the disney ones <laughs> um we're on twitter and instagram and we're on tumblr and tiktok so if you want to hear us do any kind of theory or if you have any comments or suggestions please do get in contact with us because we love talking to you guys and we really appreciate like the interaction and stuff so do just message us on twitter say hi <laughs> anyway uh you can find us on spotify itunes buzzsprout and anywhere where podcasts live and uh this has been crackpot theories the podcast where the truth is out there and it is very much more educational than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.